Peace, peace, and welcome. We're glad you're here. I have the honor and pleasure of having my first international guest. I mean, he's international. He's been all over the world, back again. And uh, he is based in the beautiful country of Zambia. Uh, welcome, Muye Makosuko. Dang, I, look, <laughs> I was going to get it right. <laughs> welcome, Muye. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> so let's do this together. Um, uh, Michael Masuko Wani. Musoko Twani. Musoko Twani. I was not even close. Yeah. Musoko Twani. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so it's, I really want to learn from you today, um, uh, Muyo. Um, when I was following you on Twitter, I noticed that you were building a city. And I was like, what? <laughs> How does that work? So can you just like, um, I think you have a really impressive story. I want to get sort of into your upbringing, but can you just talk a little bit about the current ventures you're working on? Yeah, sure. Um, so my day job is uh, building a city uh, in Zambia. I've been working on this project for the last um, five and a half years now. Um, and as a consequence of you know, building a city, um, we also have to build all the different types of public goods that a properly functional city needs. Um, so that includes schools, uh, uh, university, um, you know, grid for electricity, um, water, and uh, all the sort of like normal utilities that people use every day. Um, in addition to that, we also build uh, infrastructure like uh, parks um, for you know, recreational purposes. Um, and we've also built a dam. Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, so many, there's so much to get into. I mean, I, how, how long have you been doing this? You said that's your day job. How long have you been so, You said five years? Yeah, so five and a half years now. What, made, what gave you the idea to build a city? So it was purely accidental, uh, to be very honest. Um, so... Um, my family owned a ranch uh, and it was a half hour drive outside of the capital of Zambia. And at the time um, I was working as an analyst uh, at a fund management company. Uh, and my father had sort of like semi-retired out of uh, his select profession. Uh, so he's an economist and he'd been working uh, professionally for, you know, like 30, 40 years by that point. Um, and, he was now just working as a member of parliament at the time. Um, so he, he tended to have a lot of time on his hands. Um, so uh, me and him would meet up every you know couple of days over lunch and try to figure out what we could do. So for him, it was making a plan to keep himself busy. Uh, and for me, it was making a plan to sort of like leave my job eventually, which I was, I was starting to get bored of. Um, and so... Um, you know, we had this land and uh, it was like, what can we do with that land? And, and so we started looking around and because I was working in a, in a fund management business, I had to do a lot of research um, as part of my job as an analyst. And a bunch of that included looking at what was happening in the real estate space in Zambia. And so we decided that we would create this new master planned community, um, a half hour drive out of the, uh, the capital 
to service some of that latent demand which already existed. Um, but because we're you know a commute away from the city, we, we had to build uh, something that was a lot more than just another suburban master plan community. It had to have its own economic anchor. So it had to have a university, it had to have schools, it had to have a, a little CBD. Um, so people over time would have to commute into the city, um, but they could just live at Linkwashi, which is what we ended up naming it, um, and live, work, play, and, and learn there. Um, so live their entire lives there, basically. And that's how it came into being. And, and repeat the name of the city? Nkwashi. Nkwashi. What does Nkwashi mean? Eagle. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I was just reading up a little bit on uh, Zambia as you were talking. I was, uh, I think I was, when I was, while I, while I stayed, I was in Kenya last year and we had a bit of a correspondence while I was there, just like via Twitter um, direct message. And uh, that was my first time on the continent. And um, it was like really eye-opening for me. I don't, and I don't know anything about uh, Zambia necessarily. Um, and I was just thinking as you were des- describing uh, what you're doing compared to what was probably more familiar to me, like a suburb being created in, in America. Um, this sounds a bit more involved. It sounds like, um, I mean, how do you get the the government to give you like its own city? This is a, it's, it's a part of Zambia, right? But like, what was that exchange like? Is this common out there? Yeah. No, not at all. It's uh, it's not common at all. So there's like, <laughs> there's just two companies building cities in Zambia. Maybe like, um, the one is a mining business, um, and because they're in the middle of nowhere uh, and in the middle of the bush, um, and they've got you know ten thousand people who work for them, they had to build something from scratch to service their people, um, and then there's us, um, and even across Africa. Um, there are a number of new city developments all over the place, maybe fewer than a hundred that I know of. And you mentioned the mining company and 10,000 people servicing their people. And it's a handful across the continent. You know, the, the most up to date story I've heard of is Akon, the currency and all of that. That's the only, that's the most like popular story. So yeah, Akon is building a city in, in Senegal. Um, so he's, he's one of, uh, I guess a handful of city developers working on the continent and, and there's Kanye as well, <laughs> but his he building is in Wyoming or oh, is in Idaho. <laughs> he's, he's building a city, you mean in America or in Africa? No, Kanye is building his in, in the U.S. I think it's in Wyoming or Idaho or Wyoming, wherever his ranch is. So yeah, you know, you know more about city developers than me. I had no idea that was happening, but that's cool. <laughs> Um, so what was the process like talking to the, the, the country's government about starting your own city or starting a city? It was actually pretty progressive. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty evident that, uh, there's a large deficit in housing in the country and infrastructure. And so with that in mind, um, we didn't face any meaningful challenges. Uh, yeah, so they reviewed it and then approved it uh, after you know, looking at all our submissions, and the process was pretty straightforward. How do you make money while you're building a city? 
it sounds like it just costs money. Yeah, so it costs quite a bit of money, but uh, you can also make money by selling land or leasing land uh, to investors who want to build homes. Um, eventually, when there's a population living on the city's, uh, I guess, uh, area, you can then um, generate revenue by providing utility services to residents um, by charging um, sort of like taxes uh, as well. Mm. What is the, um, are there, what, what is it like for a foreigner to buy land in Zambia compared to like a Zambian? So it's a little bit more difficult for a foreigner to buy land, but a lot of it just depends on how much you want to invest. So uh, if you are a foreigner and you've got permanent residency, uh, it's straightforward. Uh, it's just like anyone else. But if you don't have permanent residency, uh, you'd have to apply for what's known as a, an investor license. Uh, which is a pretty straightforward license to apply for. And once you have that, you can buy as much land as you want. Um, another thing that some people do is that they use lawyers um, and then they, they basically uh, issue what's known as a, um, a proxy document uh, with the, the lawyer. So the lawyer would buy the land on behalf of a beneficial owner, um, but there'll be a contract between the, the two of them, which makes clear that the lawyers owners and that the true owner is the beneficial buyer yeah that sounds familiar to the process in mexico i looked into I, I, i've been in mexico several times and looked into buying land there and there was like a, a media area that you had to go between and it was like not possible along the coast within the in the you know country of mexico um you know i i love how nonchalant you sound about all of this because this is so phenomenal I'm really impressed. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, it just sounds like you're buying groceries. Yeah, I have to get some, uh, you know, <laughs> some tomatoes, <laughs> eggs, <laughs> to get some peanut butter. <laughs> That's funny. You, you like, you run in a different circle of people. This is like, I mean, you know, so uh, I have more questions. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but the, the part about costing money and making money, um, are you raising money to build the city? Um, so, I mean, we, for the most part, have actually used internal resources to get this done. So what we did initially is that there was a ranch, right? Um, so there was an actual business that um, the land was originally intended for. Uh, and what we did is we took a portion of that land and sold it um, to people who were willing to buy um, the land undeveloped. Uh, so we, we, saw, we took 400 acres of land uh, and subdivided it into five acre lots and then sold it on undeveloped basis. So basically, uh, the people who were buying the land from us understood that we were not obliged to develop this bushland into anything other than what it was. That was their responsibility. Um, but what, what that did is that it, it unlocked equity for us that we could then use to develop the rest of the development. So we started taking those cash flows uh, and using them to do the master planning, uh, the architectural planning, uh, all the permitting and you know, all the processes related to that, the environmental impact studies and the initial marketing. And then we started selling residential plots within this new development that we had started um on payment plans 
um, so that people would be able to afford them without a mortgage. And that created a new stream of cash flow that we then used to finance infrastructure and our administration and all those things. I see. I see. How profitable was the business before you sold it? Like, was it like a, what, what, what's, what's, explain a little more about the family operation. Like, is it, do you all help supply major, you know, sources of cattle for the country? Was it a small or medium sized business? What, what type of operation is it? Uh, so it wasn't very big. So we had about uh, 700 head of cattle uh, on the ranch. Um, and so what we actually realized was that the land was worth more than the cattle operation would basically allow us to, to harvest. Um, so it made more sense for us to just turn into real estate. We still have a, have a, you know, a cattle business, uh, but you know, we've sold a significant number of those. So right now we have about 500 dairy cows and uh, maybe 400 beef cows. Um, so that's still there, um, but it's really an insignificant part of our actual business now. Um, mm. That's so, so, all right. So from family business, um, leveraging the family's land to start a city, uh, it feels like such a huge leap, you know, and, um, you had mentioned your time as a, you said a, a financial analyst. Yep. Um, what models were you looking at to say, this is how I go about building the city? Um, so it was a lot of learning as we went along. Um, so the, the thing that really convinced me that this was worth doing is looking at the values um, of different types of land. So uh, land appraisers would tell you that the larger a tract of land is, the cheaper it is to buy on a per acre basis. Uh, and that's the reason is um, there aren't a lot of people with that kind of money, right? So if you take the value of a small uh, piece of land, say in San Francisco, right? It's gonna be worth potentially millions of dollars. And then if you extrapolated that to like thousands of acres, you're talking potentially billions of dollars. But then the number of people who can you know, shell out billions of dollars for a thousand acres, the, as a number of people who could like reasonably shell out a billion dollars or more on a thousand acres of land is like, is like really small. It's a couple Saudi princes or you know, some, some tech billionaires and so on and so forth. Um, but it, it, uh, it's, it's not a big number of people. Uh, and so to expand the potential market of buyers, what happens is that as a property gets bigger, a discount to its value is applied, right? And so if you work that backwards the other way, what it means is that if you have a big piece of land, what you want to do actually isn't use it for farming. If you're close to a big city, you want to use it for real estate purposes. So like uh, residential real estate, commercial real estate, uh, industrial real estate, and so on and so forth, because you're going to harvest a whole lot more value from that. Uh, than you otherwise would if it was a farm. Um, you know, it makes sense to use the land as a farm if it's in the middle of nowhere, um, because then the, you know, the use cases for the land are pretty like limited. Either it's going to be a forest or a ranch or a mine or whatever, um, but it's 
not going to be a city for the most part. Um, and so that was the basic rationale we, we used for this. So I, I did the numbers and, you know, it made sense for us to evaluate this. So for reference, when we bought the, the farm, um, it was bought about 20 years ago for about $100,000. Um, after about 12 years, it, you know, the, the land was then worth about a one and a half million dollars. Um, so this was like 2013. Um, and then we did a subdivision um, of the five acre plots, like I mentioned before. Yeah, so I was saying, so we bought the land for $100,000 uh, 20 years ago. We started selling five, we started selling five acre plots around 2013. And what that did is it created about $10 million worth of value in land value that is um, for the whole thing. And then we started selling residential plots and it took the valuation of the land, just the land um, north of $300 million. Um, so, you know, from one and a half million dollars to three, hundred million dollars in terms of land value um it basically was a no-brainer to just pick that um and that's not including you know any of the additional activities like selling electricity or building schools or renting apartments or building a mall all those things then also add incremental value um, to the project and all of that together then creates billions of dollars of value um, Whereas if it was just a farm, you know, it would only be worth what it was because there's, um, so like vets will tell you that a farm can only carry X number of cows per acre, right? So I believe the number is like for beef animals, it's about five acres to the cow. To reach the maximum carrying capacity, you can't extend it unless you buy more land, right? Uh, on how productive your land can be if it's a ranch. Um, it just wasn't logical for us to continue pursuing that particular business given the context at the time. Mm. You know, I figured out about how you're explaining it. You're making it sound easy. Like, like, like as if the conversation is kind of like uh, boring. Like, this is hella simple, bro. Like, why? <laughs> I understand how to explain this. <laughs> like, it makes me wonder what is hard, what you think is hard. Like, um, you know, and maybe you're just used to talking about it because it's all, it's all still intriguing, you know. Um, what what would you say, like, what are the challenges that you're presented with now that excite you the most about, around the project? Yeah, so everything about the project is, is pretty challenging. Um, we have to do a lot of learning as we go along. We have to learn how to build a dam. It was my first time building a dam. Um, uh, you have to learn about, you know, building grids and, and building houses and, um, building roads and, and doing surveys and all those things are difficult in their own right um, and because you have to do them correctly uh, and if you you know if you don't do something right the first time you have to redo it and that makes it expensive um, and so all of that is difficult and then over and above that we, we don't sell these properties for cash up front you know we, we take credit risk so we, we sell them to people largely on payment plans because also people can afford so we have to also collect you know, so we have to basically almost, oh, yeah, I was just saying there's elements of what we do. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I figured, I figured that the, so the payment plan thing, I don't know if I interrupted you because I, you started to break up, but um, I was wondering about the, uh, so, so the way that the land increases in value makes sense, 
the fact that it's all hard makes me that feel is like like I'm not like I'm not as wasting my life as much here. <laughs> here you talk about this project. <laughs> it's incredibly inspiring. Um, building a dam. I wish I you know I kind of want to I want to get into some of the particulars about this stuff, but and then the payment plans. How do you? I'm interested in learning how you attract people to a new city, and like Zambia's population. Um, you know like how that is, how you're thinking about actually populating the city. Everything is more or less built as a function of population is, is, is pretty high. Um, you guys are on, you know, 87%, I think is, is the number. Here it's the opposite. So it's like 30% urbanized. So most people live in rural areas and it's, it's, you know, a small but growing group of people who live in urban areas, but it's growing pretty rapidly. So Lusaka is growing at like almost 4% per year. So that's very rapid uh, as far as cities go. Um, and so because there's a, you know, a real need for people to live somewhere, right? And there isn't enough property stock on the market. So there aren't enough houses relative to the need. Um, what we were offering people felt compelling to them. You know, the, the idea that they can, A, buy a property that will be fully serviced so by that, I mean, it will have all the amenities that they need to live comfortably. And then B, they don't have to pay cash upfront for it or get a mortgage to pay for it. Um, that was very compelling to a lot of people. And so because of that, you know, we, we saw a lot of people um, decide to buy a property from us. Mm. So the city is actually populating now? No, we've only sold about, a, you know, just under a third of all the... Uh, property in our inventory so uh we still have what, uh, more than two-thirds to sell okay and you're selling lots or actual homes so we're selling lots okay okay and what is the what is the cost of a lot now like a residential i'm sure it varies but so a home would cost anywhere from twenty thousand dollars to infinity so you know how much <laughs> how much how expensive you want the house to be is completely up to you but you yeah. know the, the lowest amount that a person can reasonably spend to build a home here is probably twenty thousand dollars mm. yeah so say say like you know you're um, a black american looking to be a, a king in a new city in africa <laughs> mm -hmm. but, you know you live on uh, you live on an american salary um, I'm thinking about like, uh, you know, so in my experience going to Kenya, um, what was happening with real estate there and development was, you know, the, a lot of the conversation was about the influx of like Chinese investment and development in the country. And that's, and that's something that I've heard about with like a lot of African countries. Um, there were also... Uh, a good amount of Nigerians investing. Um, and there was a lot of, there was like this hunger, this aspiration to, to you know, to like, to build and, and to gain and to, and to do more. But it was a lot of poverty. Um, and so people felt like, you know, like the, like the Chinese would come in, build a building, hire their own people. Um, they, they felt like they weren't participating and that 
government was facilitating a lot of, uh, you know, was they had a role to play in the lack of Kenyans participating in the growth that was being brought in by uh, Chinese investment. Um, is that is that also does it sound familiar? And how is that playing out in Zambia? Yeah, it definitely sounds familiar. We have a large Chinese community here, but I think in some respects it's probably a smaller one than Kenya has, and so as a consequence of that, I imagine that uh, it's it's not anywhere near as uh, emotive an issue. Um, I think the fear that a lot of rural Zambians have is that you know Chinese capitalists are uh, buying large tracts of land um, to farm, and they extrapolate and say, well, if you know if they keep coming in and they keep buying, you know, what will we eventually own? Uh, because we can't afford to buy this. Um, so a lot of people feel like they might end up being you know tenants in their own country. Um, but I, I think it's unjustified in some regards, um, largely because the population of Chinese coming is, is really in real terms, not that high. Um, the Zambia has got well over 180 million acres of land. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's not going to get finished anytime soon. Um, if anything, um, you know, you, you, raise an interesting point there, which is, uh, you know, how could someone who's, you know, an African-American potentially participate in this? Um, with regards to Nkwashi, I, I think one would have to basically take the view that they're probably building for uh, one of two purposes. One is, you know, someone wanted to live here, um, which would be fine. Uh, the second option would be that someone wants to build commercial property, uh, be it residential office or, or such like for rental purposes. Um, now we're in a down market, so I, I I don't know if that would be uh, you know the shrewdest investment, and you know, as a developer, perhaps I shouldn't be uh, selling the downside, but you know that's a real concern. So I actually don't necessarily think that's how I'd play it uh, if I was an African American um, looking at investing in in uh, real estate in in Zambia or Africa in general. What I would be looking at is agriculture, right? So one of the uh, projects that we're looking at working on in the next couple of years is a much larger development. And that one will have a significant agricultural component to it where people who live elsewhere in the world, but want to come to Africa to farm will be given an opportunity to do so. So we'll build a lot of the infrastructure up front. So we'll build roads, we'll build silos, we'll build, uh, uh, if, if a farmer wants it, we could put pivots, uh, center pivots on their farm. And then what they do is they just you know, operate the farm or, or they buy the farm uh, and manage it themselves. Um, I think for a lot of people, that would be a lot more appealing for a number of reasons. One is land values in Africa are a whole lot lower than they are in the US. Um, so in terms of return to your land, farming in Africa is well, well more is a, is a lot more profitable than it would be in the States. Um, that's one. Two, labor in Africa is a whole lot cheaper than it is in the States. So in terms of your cost structure, it'll cost you a whole lot less to operate a farm here than it would there. Um, the third thing is uh, the U.S. has an agreement with many African countries called the uh, AGOA. Right? Af uh, and what this agreement basically does is that it gives African uh, farmers access to the U.S. market. All they have to do is meet certain 
um, FDA thresholds for quality purposes and sanitation and stuff. Um, and provided those are, are you know are met, um, then you've got the whole of the U.S. market to potentially service. Um, so I, I think that's the one thing I would probably sell uh, or, or really support uh, if I was to market something um, to African Americans. Um, though I know it's not necessarily the most like sexy thing to be so like selling. Hey, be a farmer in Africa. Um, but I generally think actually it's a it's a pretty solid investment. And I think that that question is like that, that interest is varied because I think a lot of us, um, I think a lot of people, I don't know if it's urbanites or whatever, but we have this, we romanticize rural farm life, you know? And mm-hmm. so people think about open range and like all of that. And I, and I've, and that's, that's been the case for me. Like even having like self-sustaining land, like if I just had everything and I, I was thinking about like, Oh, what would, what would an effective retirement plan be? Well, one option could be having a place where I didn't really need to rely on spending money. It could just be the, like, you know, whatever I've already cultivated, but farming is hard, <laughs> you know, like, and then dealing with people is hard. Um, it's not unbearable. Like I'm, you know, I'm used to dealing with people. People don't want to work. They don't show up. They like, I was used, like whatever, you know, just um, people. Call That's me. true. <laughs> And you have to do with a lot of different people in a lot of different spaces. Uh, it's a lot of negotiating, you know. That was overwhelming to me, thinking about like, oh, the dam operator versus the grid person versus the developer versus the cash buyer that's not paying. You're like, it's just like, whoa, bro. <laughs> um, how, how big is your, do you have a, well, before I get off that, the farm thing, um, certain types of, production i think is really attractive to people and i was just i was just, i'm looking at like the wikipedia page for zambia you know and i'm because <laughs> i was like i want to ask him something that i was trying to think of like like what can you grow there that like the two things i was thinking about was um was uh was chocolate and and coffee what are the like the things that are popular to grow there uh so a lot of commercial farmers uh grow wheat um, they grow corn, they grow soy, okay. uh, sugar, so sugar cane. Um, they, there are a lot of large coffee estates here, um, and Zambian coffee is really good, actually. Um, there's some tea plantations, uh, cotton, uh, tobacco. Yeah, I think those are the like, really major ones. Okay, and so so the, is the coffee there? Is the coffee market there pretty much like wrapped up? Is are there opportunities to continue to grow there? Uh, yeah, so very little of the coffee grown in Zambia actually is consumed here. Most of it is sold internationally. Right, but um, are there opportunities to? I'm sure there are always opportunities to buy and sell, but is 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 it all on lock, or are there other areas untapped to grow coffee? Does that make sense? Yeah, there's, there's loads of land. So like uh, Zambia has a population of 18 million people. Um, you know, so like population density here is really low. There's loads, loads of land that is just empty with no one in. Um, so there's a lot of potential for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that in terms of like the coffee not being consumed there. I noticed that in Kenya, because I was like, Cause you know, in the States and you've been to the, you've been all over the West and everything. 
um, when you go to a, one of these high price cafes, like if it says Kenya on it, it's hella expensive, right? Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, so I'm going to Kenya thinking I'm going to have the best coffee on the planet and they all drink instant coffee. I was pissed. I was like, what is going on? You know, I heard it's like that in Colombia too. Like um, everyone there drinks the cheap stuff and it all gets shipped out the country. Exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, if I, like, you know, the woman I've I've been seeing, uh, she's Eritrean, and she's like a she's a um, uh, a chocolatier, and uh, oh nice. She has all of these aspirations about you know having a farm on the continent and then developing it and bringing it back. So whatever I think about farming, I learned a lot about uh, how chocolate gets made through her. And um, and so, if I were if I would if I were to have something that was a farm, it'd likely be a, a coffee, like a coffee bean um, development, and that would be like a hobbyist thing. Like for me to go into that as like a a, a whole business, you know, I would have to think about it some more. But I know she's like deep into the chocolate stuff, and so I was curious if there's like only certain areas of the world where you can grow it. You know, if Zambia is one of those places. Yeah, Zambia is one of the places. Uh, but uh, chocolate, no. So chocolate typically grows in much more, um, so like equatorial, tropical, rainforesty type places like Ghana. Mm-hmm. You have, um, and I'm looking at the the, the history of uh, Cecil Rhodes. Yep. Yeah, so Cecil Rhodes uh, basically founded what became Zambia. Oh, damn. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> The Rhodes Scholarship so, uh, is uh, something that, you know, I heard of the Rhodes Scholarship before I heard of who he actually was. And um, it's like one of these things like, you know, these uh, colonialists, they like make their fortunes on enslaving people and try to make it right by like branding these prestigious things, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was a you know very different time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, found what became Zambia. I actually, yeah, I wasn't making that connection. I was just thinking about the mining piece. So um, basically, Zambia was founded by uh, the British South Africa company, uh, which was controlled by Cecil Rhodes, um, and they were a mining business, basically. So, um, mm-hmm. so in essence, a mining business started Zambia. <laughs> mm. And, and and is that still a major economic engine for the country, mining? Yep, mining, uh, less so than it was in the past. Uh, so now it's about 15% of GDP, um, but it has a disproportionate influence on the economy because it's, it's about 70% of our exports. Is, is it controlled by Zambians? Uh, almost zero is controlled by Zambians, very little. Uh, so it's mostly like global multinationals. What are the major things uh, found there? Are they diamonds? Um, so there have been reports of diamonds, but you know, it's. I think there's negligible diamond deposits here. It's mostly copper um, and cobalt. So that sounds like a whole other discussion and episode. <laughs> are you into the crypto scene? Also, do you do that? Um, well, I've been working on uh, on uh, on a concept with some friends of mine. 
Um, okay. Um, you're also you're also into photography. I've seen some of your photography on Twitter. Yep. So basically, just take random photos whenever I'm up and about. Um, so you know, if a moment looks pretty cool, I'll just take a photo of it. Um, but yeah, with regards to crypto, it's something I'm actively working on. Um, and in the next couple of months, I hope to so like share more about what we're doing. Announcement coming soon. Do Basically, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a family? Yeah, I do. So I have one child and a, a wife. Do you Do you write often? Not as much as I would like. So I've been thinking about blogging for the longest time, but I don't have the discipline to actually just uh, a lot a specific number of hours per week to writing. So I, I tend not to. So what I do is I, I just share thoughts on Twitter for the most part. And what I'll probably write in long form as a, uh, as a blog post becomes a thread. Um, but I do have a, a domain um, that I registered for a blog that you know remains un, <laughs> undeveloped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like you're building a city. You should be writing too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> crypto and the family you know i don't want to keep you i want to respect your time i'm so intrigued uh you're and i think you're like nine hours ahead or something like that so i know yeah, i know it's getting late out there it's getting later yep um how do i learn more how do the viewers learn more about uh what's the name of the city called again it was, i know it's eagle in english but how do you pronounce it Mkwashi, so it's n-k-w-a-s-h-i Okay. How do we learn more about Nkwashi? Uh So you can go to the website. So that's Nkwashi.com. Um, alternatively, you could go to the, my company's website. That's Tebe Investment Management. So it's T-H-E-B-E-I-M.com. Uh, or you could follow me on Twitter. I feel like the Monday, like this Monday is like, it's going to look different. I'm going to start thinking about how I can build a city. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to copy paste your model. <laughs> i learned so much um i do want to this is our first time actually talking uh just offline i want to i want to stay in conversation and uh and possibly do this again um and i would also like to figure out how i can get a small group of people together to hear from you at a later date um, that I think would be also inspired by what you're doing. I mean, obviously we'll show this out, but just to have a one-on-one time permits, we should set that up too. No worries, man. I'll be uh, I'll be honored to have uh, you know uh, more time spent chatting, uh, hear more about what you're doing, and also to chat with a smaller group of people uh, or a, a larger group of people. Um, so yeah, let me know, and you know I'll I'll make it happen. All right, cool. This is Cook on Quarantine. I am here with Mwawe. I said it right? Yep. Muya. Muya. <laughs> Muya. Muya. Mu Soko Twane. Exactly right. Yeah, you got it. Muya Soko Twane. Go to the city of Zambia. Beautiful.